0: good morning hope everyone's feeling good this morning uh, it's an honor to be able to speak today I really want to thank uh, Tom and Jeff for giving me this opportunity uh, it's always a privilege to preach from God's word I mean it's such an amazing thing that God has even chosen to speak to us in this way uh, the fact that he has revealed himself to us and that we get to understand what his will is for our lives and I mean, I just feel extremely humbled uh, to be able to speak with you guys today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Chase McIntosh. My wife, Sarah, and I, we help lead the youth and family ministry here at North River, um, and uh, it's, it's really wonderful uh, to be here. So we are continuing our series on the book of Exodus, and I don't know about you, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series. I feel like there are so many amazing lessons that God has been showing us, and today we're continuing... With the Ten Commandments, Jeff did an awesome job starting last week just talking about how God needs to be our one and only. And even talking about the grace that God has showed his people throughout time, way before the New Testament, there was always grace. And so we're getting into the Ten Commandments part two. And I want to kind of talk about the why, the what, and the how today. And so it's important to understand why we have these commands. And Tom talked about this a little while ago as well. But the idea, we'll read here in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So we see here that the idea behind God giving these commands is so that we could be this kingdom of priests. You know, that that through following these things, the Israelites could be a light to a dark world. That there's all these nations living a messed up life all around them, but that by following these, they can make a difference. And it's not about earning, our place before God. Like if we follow these commandments, then he'll love us, then he'll give us grace. Because again, Jeff talked about that last week and we see it here as well. He starts off reminding them, look, I already brought you out of Egypt. All right. So it's not about earning anything, but it's about being different in the world. It's about not blending in. And by living this different kind of better life, that people are going to notice and that we get to show God to a dark world. And so we know this is not just an Old Testament thing. Right? We know the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Right? So we know that God wanted the Israelites to be this kingdom of priests, but it didn't just stop there. That he wants us to be that kingdom of priests as well. And we'll see throughout the, the Ten Commandments, throughout the, the God's law, it's echoed over and over again in the New Testament. That this is God's plan for us as well. And so we need to pay close attention. You know, these are the Ten Commandments, right? And this is something that has been etched in many of our brains from, from a young age. And we're getting to see that this is a high calling. And this is the what of God's calling, so to speak. The why is so that we can be a kingdom of priests. But here's what the actual calling is. And I've been given the amazing honor of preaching on the second part of Ten Commandments. So we're going to focus in on three today because of time. So we're going to look at these. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Then we're going to talk about how we're supposed to do this. But do not murder is probably one that we feel pretty good about, right? We we look at that and we're not super convicted. Most of us, oftentimes, we use it to justify ourselves. Like, I've done some messed up stuff in my life, but I've never killed anybody. As if that's like a big accomplishment. Like, oh wow, like congratulations. And so we feel pretty good about this. But we know in the New Testament it's talked about as well. And Jesus takes it a step further. As we read in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So that's, that's a new level right there. Jesus takes it much deeper. He speaks out against murder. I mean, he doesn't negate that at all, but he takes it way further and speaks out about anger and hatred. He speaks out against the heart that leads to murder. It's not just about the act it's what's going on in here. And I don't know about you, but there is a lot of anger and hate in our world. I mean, we see this on a constant basis. Sometimes it seems like it's getting worse. Like there's more anger, or more hate. Maybe it's just because people have the ability to just broadcast anything that they're thinking, right? Anything that's on their mind, if they're mad, they can tell many people just with a couple of clicks. And so we see a lot of anger, right? Can just be constantly coming at us. The noise of the news and the internet is just full of this stuff. And we need to ask ourselves are we being a kingdom of priests in this area? Are we living a different way? Are we set apart? Because it's very easy, when you get mad about something, when someone does something to you that's messed up, we want to rant, right? Or at least vent. We just want to talk about it. I mean, when someone does something wrong against me, I mean, legit wrongdoing, the first thing I want to do is call somebody. (laughs) Call somebody that, that I trust and just kind of vent and just kind of go off about how mad I am. But is that really being set apart from the world or are we just adding to the noise of anger and hatred when we're doing that? You know, I encourage us, I feel like what we should do in those moments is go to God first. Because God will take our anger and our venting, right? He understands, right? He's not gonna condemn us for that. He's gonna hear it, but he also helps our heart. And so then when we go and talk to somebody and get advice or whatever, we're not just like in a bad attitude. You know what I mean? And so I feel like it's so key that we really are set apart and, and spread love and humility. Because sometimes we're angry for good reasons. Right? I mean, sometimes there is legit things that need to change. But let's remember Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Right? Jesus got angry, but it's about what you do with it. And so let's constantly keep, it, th- keep this in mind that when we're talking about do not murder, that Jesus takes it way deeper. And this really gets to our hearts. The second one, I feel like, is another amazing calling for us that I think we take very seriously. Do not commit adultery. I feel like those of us who are married in here, we take that very seriously. And I think that is different from the world. I think that is commendable. That we don't consider it an option to cheat on our spouse. Right? And and amen for that. And let's read what Jesus says about this one. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he takes it a step further again, right? It's not just about this act. It's about the lustful heart. It's not like we feel like we can be okay with God as long as we don't go all the way with someone in a relationship that's not our spouse. If you think that's the case, we've missed the entire point. Jesus is calling us to purity. And think about the world that we live in. I mean, impurity is rampant. It's in so many forms, it's everywhere. I mean, you think about the media, you can't escape from it, it seems like sometimes. I mean, we went to, to dinner at an Indian restaurant last night and you know, they had Bollywood videos playing and we had our kids with us and, and we had to like move them out of the way because like, the stuff is not appropriate. I mean, this is just dancing just in a restaurant on the TV but it's like, you cannot escape it. And in the things that we watch, in the things that we listen to, what is our standard when it comes to purity? Because it's hard to escape from it, right? I mean, and not just sexual acts in the media, or not just explicit words, but the subject matter in songs. The subject matter in shows, in TV, sometimes just the jokes themselves. Right? It's not even what you're seeing, it's what you're listening to. What is our standard about that? It's very easy to blend in. I don't know about you, when it's the end of a long day, I like to just sit on the couch. Sarah and I turn on the TV, turn on Netflix, something like that, and just kind of unwind. It's something that we like to do together. It's a shared experience. We appreciate shows that are well done. We appreciate good acting, good directing, good writing. And there have been many times where we watch a show, it pulls us in, it's well done, You know, it's interesting, but then there's something impure. And to my shame, there have been times where I just kind of glossed over it. I just said, well, it's just a little bit. It's not very much. We can just kind of fast forward it, just kind of turn away, whatever. But there have been times, too, where I'm just convicted. What does God value? Right, we try to protect our kids in situations. Do we protect ourselves in the same way? And, and so I feel like the question that we should be asking ourselves always is what does God value? A lot of times I hear people say, well, it doesn't really bother me. I just like to listen to the beat, or I just like, it's just really funny, whatever. But is that really the, the question that, what does that mean about where, where our heart is? I mean, if it doesn't bother us, do we think it bothers God? And then that's very concerning. If it doesn't bother us and we follow God, what does that really mean? And it's difficult, right? Because you're like, well, this stuff is in every show. It's in every song. What am I supposed to listen to? But is that the question you should be asking yourself? Instead, what does God value? That's what we should be concerning ourselves with. Can we survive without entertainment? We need to prioritize. This is what God is calling us to. He's calling us away from the junk when he says, do not commit adultery. He's calling us away from the heart that gets us there, not just the act itself. And we need to be zealous when it comes to how we conduct ourselves in everyday life, behind closed doors, around our friends, around our kids. This is what God is getting at. It's much deeper but think about the opportunity that we have surrounded by all the junk in the world on a daily basis we can be radically different we can be a light to a dark world and people will notice are we making the most of this opportunity and perhaps the biggest opportunity is with the last command that we're going to talk about do not covet more specifically It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And now the word covet is not something that we use in everyday language. In Hebrew, the word is chamad, which means to desire, to take pleasure or delight in. And this command is really unique because it deals with the heart, A lot of the other commands, it's talking about actual actions, but this is about what's going on right here and right here. And I don't know if you've noticed where we live in the world today, we're constantly surrounded by nice stuff. You cannot get away from it, right? You you drive by the amazing houses, the amazing cars, right? The amazing landscaping. I mean, it's incredible, right? The things that people do. And I don't know if you struggle with this. I've definitely struggled as being a homeowner, you know, for a little over a year now. And we're very grateful for our house. It's a great house. We go to some of our friends' houses. Their houses are bigger. Their houses are newer and nicer. They don't have some of the problems that we have. They have amazing, (laughs) immaculate backyards and front yards. And the tendency is for us to be like, that's really nice. I mean, maybe we should do something about that, right? I mean, everyone else, I mean, maybe we should... Try to keep up. We know that expression, keeping up with the Joneses. It's real. Especially where we live. You cannot get away from this. But what is our mindset? Are we delighting in stuff? Or are we delighting in God? This is what God is calling us away from. It doesn't matter if you don't own a home or you own a home. If you own anything, no matter what age you are, we're constantly bombarded by people trying to get us to buy stuff. And to take pleasure in, like, oh my goodness, do you see the user interface on that new iOS? You know, and it's just like very compelling. And it can consume us. And of course, we've been blessed as a people. We should be grateful for that. And God has given us these things. We can be generous. We can help others. We can glorify him. But if we're not careful, the stuff can consume us. We need to realize this is the spirit, again, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well. Think about what Paul says to Timothy but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And it goes on, but man, that just hits you in the face right there. Food and clothing it doesn't even say a house. And you don't want to take it too far and say he's calling us to be homeless. But like, content with food and clothing. Is that how I feel? Is that how we feel? That we'd be okay? Something happened to our house, right? If we had to live in a tent, like, would we be okay with that? Jesus was okay with that. Luke 9, 58. Jesus replied, foxes have dens. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Man, you see that the idea is not to take pleasure in things. It's to take pleasure in God. It's to serve him, to trust him through it all. And we can be so different from the world if we follow this. As as a society that's completely materialistic and it's a consumer economy and everybody is constantly trying and trying to do more and more and get more, we can be like, that stuff doesn't really matter. Like, I like it, right, that's, that's, it's good to do, we can help others with it, but like, that's not what my life is about. My life is about following God, trusting him, it's not about stuff. And so you see, man, when you think about these commandments, and you think about the spirit that Jesus is calling us to in the New Testament, that God has been calling us to the entire time, it is a very high calling. We understand the why so that we can be different from the world. But this calling itself, man, it's like, how do we do it? Because it gets hard, right? We're in the world. We're constantly being weighed down. How are we supposed to stay on track? And and God tells us here, right after the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. They said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The way we stay on track, what keeps us from sinning is supposed to be the fear of of God. I think this is difficult for some of us, right? (laughs) We think about, man, God is a loving God. Some of us grew up with kind of a fire and brimstone Christianity that scared us a lot, but then we kind of got out of that and we appreciate God's grace and God's love, and we're like, I don't want to go back to being afraid. But the, the point is that the fear of the Lord is supposed to be a huge part of our relationship with God. And I think it's difficult for us to understand. I appreciate so much our brother Matt Cheer, who's been doing a lot of study in this area, has been showing many of us, and he actually started a website called FearingTheLord.com and really takes the scriptures on the fear of the Lord and puts them all in one place, or many of them. There's over 300 occurrences of this concept in the Bible. It's everywhere. I encourage you to dig into this because it's not always easy to understand. But it has treasures for our relationship with God. We begin to see what this is all about. Because even in this passage, it's difficult to understand. You see the fear of God will keep us from sinning. But right before that, he says, do not be afraid. And right away, you're like, hold up. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it definitely seems like a contradiction to us. Do not be afraid. But yet the fear of God can help us. It's difficult to understand, but I think we begin to understand that it's not being afraid that we should be doing. Fear makes us run away from God, but the fear of God in the right way helps us draw near to God. And there's this quote, a song I used to listen to by John Mayer, where it says, fear is a friend who's misunderstood. And I was just talking to one of the teens the other day, Jonathan Chesser, and he was talking about it's only recently that people started being unafraid of wild animals. That it used to be a big part of our history that man, you could be out in in the open and that was a real threat. But technology has separated us from nature in a lot of ways. And it's put off death a number of years. And we feel like we're not fragile. We feel like we're kind of invincible. And we're not as aware of our own mortality and we forget God's power and God's might. We forget our weakness. And that makes us arrogant. Right? That, that makes us prideful. We have this kind of cavalier approach to life where we feel like we could just do whatever we want. But God is, is telling us, man, you need to remember who God is. We need to remember his righteousness and his holiness. And that we are not that we are flawed, that we are weak. He is powerful. What can we do? That is the fear of the Lord. We're talking about humility. We're talking about reverence and awe. And we have to remember that, or we're just going to feel like we can do whatever. We're not going to be aware. We're not going to realize. And I think that's why Paul reminds the church in Ephesus in the New Testament, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I think we forget what we deserve. We forget the fact that God is perfect and we're not. How do we even interact with God with that big of a gap? And then of course, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich In mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The Christian walk is hard. We want to be set apart. We want to be a kingdom of priests. But man, the Ten Commandments, the spirit that God calls us to in the New Testament, it's hard. We feel like how can we do it? But when we remember what it means to fear the Lord, to be humble before him, that's when we understand why Jesus had to die. That's when we understand that we need a Savior. And it's only then that we understand God's grace. It's only then that we understand God's love. And it's that understanding that can move us to do anything. That when we're faced with temptation, we're just like, Oh, man, who am I? God is amazing. I'm going to do whatever I need to do for him because he is great and I am not. And so as we take communion, let's remember what God has called us to. And let's honor Jesus for the fact that he gave us the ability and the opportunity to follow him and be set apart. Let's pray. God, we are not worthy. We think about the calling that you gave us. We think about Jesus. The fact that it's because of him that we don't have to be afraid of you. But that we can draw near to you and still respect and humble ourselves before you. God, I pray that you would search us. Know our hearts. Test us. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. We want to please you. We want to honor you. As we remember Jesus, we worship and revere you, now and always. In your son's name we pray. Amen.